Hey everybody, you're listening to Real Movies, a podcast about documentaries. I'm Rob Carmack, I'm sitting with John Rhodes. How you doing, John? Doing well. How's everybody out there? <laughs> John, I'm really I'm really excited about our documentary today. This I'm I'm just gonna tip my hand right off the bat. This so far has been the most fun I've had watching a documentary. <laughs> the name of the documentary, it's it's 2009's Best Worst Movie. Are we gonna do two feelings today? I think we are, aren't we? Dr. Hardy's office is Peter. We don't speak too much about it. Is that really my son? It was so not him. It's the strangest thing to watch. Will you kill me if I tell him? No, tell him, tell him. <laughs> it was just crazy because nobody in the community even knew that George was in a film. I was in a movie back in 1989. It's called Troll 2. And it's become known as the worst film of all time. Really? Yes. Well, I left in about the middle of the boot. It was so bad. I maybe hoped it wouldn't be as bad as it was, um, but it was. I had no idea what it all meant or what I was doing or what I was saying. By every conceivable measure, this is a bad film. Oh my gosh, that's the worst movie I've ever seen. Best Worst Movie is a documentary that goes and kind of highlights a cult classic of Troll 2. Troll 2 has been rated by IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes as the worst movie ever. It has a, it has a zero rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, I mean, obviously, yeah. that, it's, it's hard to get a zero. Nobody yeah. can like this movie. It had an average score of 1.9 out of 10. To put that in perspective, Santa Claus... Conquers the Martians got a twenty five percent rating. <laughs> Is that true? Did you yeah. really look that? Up? Oh yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, I mean, Killer Clowns from Outer Space has a seventy one percent rating. Seventy one? Yes, that's a positive rating. That's yeah. like that's, that's actually a good rating. I was gonna yeah. say I've yeah. seen Killer Clowns from Outer yeah. Space and it's awful. Oh yeah, uh, that was my favorite cult classic growing up, which we could probably talk about later. Maybe somebody needs to make yeah. a documentary about that. Absolutely. But but yeah, so really we're here to talk about two movies. We're here to talk about the documentary, Best Worst Movie, but we're also here to talk about a little bit, I mean you can't not talk about the 1989 B-horror movie, Troll 2. This documentary, it basically, it is done, the director of the movie was actually the star of Troll 2, and the star of Troll 2 was a little kid named Michael Stevenson. And in the movie, his name is Joshua, and he thought he was going to be the next... Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay Culkin, or Corey Feldman, or some, you know, child star that was just going to blow up huge. He gets this leading role in a movie, then the movie does not do well. Well, the thing is, it, it never comes out. Like, he talks about this in the docu... Like, it he keeps expecting to sh see it in theaters, and it never comes out. And then on Christmas morning, his parents have it wrapped for him on VHS, and they're so excited to sit down and watch it. And he says, like, 12 seconds into watching the movie, his dad just puts his hand in his head, and he says, jo he says Michael, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so, it, it definitely falls into the category that it's so bad, it's good. Okay, so we probably ought to mention at this point, you and I took exactly the opposite route of this. You watched Best Worst Movie first, and then Troll 2. Yes. And then, as an experiment, I watched Troll 2 first, and then Best Worst Movie. What was your impression of Troll 2, having already seen Best Worst Movie? Well, I was I was let in on the joke. Right. Okay? The, the documentary goes ahead and highlights 
all of these people look at this as much more of a comedy than they do a scary movie. Nobody sits down and wants to watch this horror movie. They want to watch the train wreck that it is and the carnage that follows and kind of make fun of the overacting and the scenes. So I had been let in on on the joke, per se. So I knew kind of what to expect going in. I enjoyed it. I thought it was hilarious. Um, I got the jokes. I got why it was funny. I, I didn't mind it at all. I actually... You know, they, they talk about and, and highlight within the movie these Troll 2 parties. I actually think it would be really fun to have a Troll 2 party in which you invite a bunch of people over, you know, some people dress up, where you have this, you know, these cakes or sludge or whatever that, that is from the movie, and that's what people are drinking and eating, and make it into this, you know, goofy, we all laugh at this really, really dumb movie. Kind of thing. So I liked it. I mean, I actually thought Troll Two was was highly entertaining. I'm really, I'm really glad you had that experience because I hated it. <laughs> Having not seen the documentary, I went home one day to eat lunch. My my wife and son were out of the house, and so I was just sitting in my in my kitchen. I opened my laptop and I think, okay, well, let's just get started because I have to watch Troll Two and then Best Worst Movie to prepare for this podcast. I, I had made myself a sandwich. John, I'm not even kidding. I literally couldn't finish my food. It came it, it came it came down to the choice of and this is like this is before any other thing happened. like this is within the first five minutes of the film. I could I had to make a choice. Like do I finish my lunch or do I keep watching the movie? And I was so committed to getting through it, I just I basically didn't eat lunch that day. I couldn't do it. It made me nauseous. <laughs> It was so terrible, and I couldn't. I can't even begin to tell you. There is there is nothing about Troll Two that isn't bad. In fact, they, they say this in, in the documentary is that there's there's one guy from the Upright Citizens Brigade who's doing sort of an introduction, and he says every movie has all kinds of things like acting, writing, directing, sound, uh, visual effects. Very few movies totally screw up every single one of these things completely, and yet Troll Two does it. See, this is this is the beauty, and and when I saw that, because I, I rewatched the documentary, and I saw that after seeing Troll Two, and I thought back, I was still able to somehow be intrigued within the storyline as all of that was being screwed up. I mean, a lot of times that one thing will turn me off, and not only if it's one, but two or three or four or five or ten in this case things will turn you off. But I just kept wanting to go back. I kept wanting to see the carnage that was this movie. Oh, it's a complete fiasco. Yeah. And well, and you, you talk about story. There are so many... If you were to sit down and read the script for Troll 2, <laughs> there are so many problems with this. Like, it breaks its own rules. Kind of, like, at one point, the dead grandfather can stop time, but he only does that one. Like, there, there are so many things that make no <laughs> sense at all in any universe. Like, every, every time it seems to be setting up a rule, and every movie that works any movie I don't care what genre it has to have a, an established set of rules every time Troll 2 establishes rules it breaks them yeah. and, it's, it does, and it does so unintentionally it's not trying to be funny it's not trying to be ironic this is not Monty Python the guy who directed this movie thought he was making a genuinely good horror movie and he's, he is shocked that people think it's not good even so, when you watch the documentary, you watch these people having these Troll 2 parties or these viewings, and there's there's all of these fans that kind of come and show up. You know, two and 300 people will come and show up at these showings, and they're all laughing. And the, the director is sitting there, 
and just baffled at why they are laughing. Like, why are these people laughing at something that's not supposed to be funny? Because he thinks it's a legitimate scary movie when they think, you know, this is just the biggest joke ever. Yeah, he thinks it's a masterpiece. And he's, he's, he's bewildered by the fact that people are laughing at stuff that he thinks are very serious, dramatic moments in the film. <laughs> and we should say, the director is an Italian guy named Claudio Fragrasso, and it was written, the m- Troll 2 was written by his wife, who is also Italian. And I learned this, I was doing some research on the film. I, I learned that Claudio's wife wrote the whole screenplay in Italian, and when they came to America to shoot it, she went to the library and got an Italian-to-English translating dictionary and translated <laughs> the entire screenplay. Really? And that's the screenplay that they used. And so if you are watching the movie and you think nobody talks that way, it's because you're right, because it's, <laughs> it's, it's transliterated from Italian into English by an Italian person. <laughs> it makes no sense at all. Well, I mean, the first thing that the first thing that caught my my eye when I watched the movie is the wife and the husband are sitting down and they're talking about Joshua, their son, and how he continues to talk to his dead grandfather. And so then you see the mother go in to tuck the son in, and she's trying to comfort him about it, and she's talking about. How she, you know everybody was sad about the death of the grandfather. He said, "Yes, Grandpa Seth." Yeah. He said, "Her, her dad, his dad said, his sister said, and then she says, and me, his daughter is yeah. even sad." <laughs> I forgot. And, I forgot that she said, "And me, his daughter." Yes, like she has to clarify for Joshua that Grandpa Seth was her dad. And, I mean, it's well, just so absurd. Well, and not only that, when, when she's talking to her husband about how she's worried about Joshua, <laughs> and, and the husband is trying to, like, brush it off, like, oh, don't worry, I had imaginary friends, too. And then, it, it's it's already been pointed out that Grandpa Seth has been dead for six months. And then, um, then the dad says, listen, we're going to go out to the country, and he'll forget all about your father. <laughs> Because 10-year-olds always yes. forget about their grandparents after they've died. Absolutely. <laughs> Six months, that's, that's your shelf life. When you die, your memory life, your, your shelf life... In the memory of your loved ones, it's going to be about six months. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I, I realize we're all over the yeah. map because we're into we're already into Troll Two, but in the beginning scene, it feels like initially the opening scene feels like the Princess Bride to me. I feel like that's what they were trying to do because you have the boy in bed being told a scary story by his grandfather, but the grandfather is so angry. Like anytime Joshua asks a question, like what were the what were the goblins doing? Grandpa Seth says. It's real, Joshua! And he seems psychotic. And I'm like, this is not the Princess Bride. Like, this is this is going really, really badly. Yes. But, then, but then they turn it, they twist it, and, it's, and it turns out Grandpa Seth is dead. And Joshua talks to dead Grandpa Seth. You're making a mistake, Grandpa. You said they can. You should have said they could. Or what kind of fairy tale is it? They can. They can. Goblins still exist. Your grandpa Seth is telling you. Alright, I tried to explain the movie to my wife because I thought, you know, maybe this will help me kind of wrap my head around it. It took me about ten minutes to kind of explain <laughs> just the nuances of what was going on and why it was so crazy and what was happening and and all of the things that made this terrible movie actually 
actually a good movie. Ultimately, she just walked away really confused because well, yes. it's hard to sum up. It's it's hard to tell people. I mean, you can't just give a three-line summary of this and anybody be like, yeah, I can see why that But it's because it has no coherent yeah. theme at all. <laughs> it, it completely defies its own logic at every possible turn. It makes no sense whatsoever. And, and what's funny, in the documentary... The, there, there are points, and they ask like the actors all realize it's terrible. Every single one of them, they're they're totally embarrassed that they were in this this movie. The director, the writer, and the editor, who are all Italian, all believe that this is a masterpiece. Like the the writer, they they interview the writer, the, the female yes. writer of the movie, and she says, and this is a quote, she says. It was it was meant to be a ferocious analysis of today's society. Yes, because she had a lot. Of, because okay, it, it's it's worth noting that all the villain, the goblins in the film, are vegetarians. The writer knew a lot of people in Italy who were vegetarians, and she hated them. And so she wanted to make a movie where all the villains were vegetarians. Yes, which is so crazy that these goblins are going to eat people, but they have to turn them into plants first yes. to do so. And that is, I mean, that, that whole concept to me just makes my brain kind of, like, just blow up. Why not just, like, make a garden? Yes. Why, or <laughs> go to a salad bar. Yeah, why can't you just <laughs> eat the trees and the plants that are in the forest that you're living in? Like, yes. if you're a vegetarian, why do you then have to kill people and turn them and go to all of the work of turning them into this sludge stuff just so that you can eat them? It, do, it does seem like a lot of work to ju- just to have a scary movie. <laughs> Absolutely. There, there are lots of scary movies that they don't have to work so hard to make their, their plots make sense. And this plot doesn't make sense because obviously the director and the screenwriter, they're not working that hard. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, <laughs> but I mean, I almost think they are working really hard. They have a hard time getting a coherent thought out, which is kind of like this podcast right now because there's so much going on in our heads. Yeah, I feel like this podcast, we're, every, we're all over the map because we're talking about a movie that is all over the map. <laughs> Yes. Okay, well, I mean, back to back to the documentary. It's really interesting to see how some of the people got to be fans of Troll 2. Mm-hmm. It talks about the the type of person that is going to go out and rent Troll 2. You, you have to be a type of person that is willing to see movies that has, have never been recommended to you. you got to be the kind of person that's willing to just kind of take any scary movie and watch it. You gotta be the... And they even say you gotta be the kind of person that will watch a movie more than once. I think a lot of people probably had the same reaction. If they've never been kind of brought in on the joke, they probably have the exact same reaction that you did the first time of, this is awful. Yes. This is so terrible. The the people that fight through that and go, you know what? That was so bad. I want to see that again. I, I want to do that one more time just to make sure it was that bad. Yeah. You know, and it really becomes one of those things where they talk themselves into liking it. I think that this this kind of following, which is what a lot of the documentary is about, the fans and the people and how that this terrible, awful, horrible movie kind of gets a resurgence in popularity is due to this this group of people that I guess loves irony. This whole culture is kind of an interesting thing. I think that how you watch it, where you watch it, with who you watch it will always kind of affect your your opinion of the movie. If you've got somebody there to kind of, 
you know, play Mystery Science Theater 3000 and just just make fun of it the whole time. Dude, this is a perfect candidate for Mystery Science Theater 3000. I think that it's one of those that that you don't care that people are talking during the film. You're just there to kind of share the experience with friends and make fun of what is going on, but you still kind of have to pay attention. I'm glad that I got let in on the joke because, you know, if I would have been in the wrong mood or if I hadn't have been up for it, I would have turned around and hated the movie. Like, say you've got an hour for lunch <laughs> and you're sitting at home by yourself and this is what you choose to watch. Yeah, that's probably it's, not... Instead of watching last night's episode of The Daily Show, you choose to watch Troll 2, you, you would have been a little upset. Yeah, I probably would have. I probably wouldn't have... <laughs> You know, done it like that. You know, I had I had some time to kill when I did it, and I watched it um, on my computer. I, I liked it. I thought it was it was you know rather funny, but at the same time, you know, I can easily see where that would have turned the wrong way for me. Yeah. I mean, I have there's a couple of movies that I hate because I wasn't feeling well when I watched them. There were other stuff going on, and it just happened to be the movie that was making me, you know, I felt like the movie was making me upset, but it was other things going on that were making me upset. And I can see how this one would really easily put you over the edge if you were not in a good mood starting to, like, if you were not in on the joke of this is going to be hilarious, getting ready to watch it. And going, going back to the documentary, it, it was, I really enjoyed the documentary, and I don't know that I would have had I not endured Troll 2. I, I feel like, because you said that there were certain points in the documentary that you felt lost because they were making direct reference to Troll 2. Like, there, there's a scene in the documentary where they go to the home of Margot Prey, who plays the mother in Troll 2, and they reenact one of the scenes. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the scene where they're mm-hmm. in the car, headed headed out to Nilbog, which is a town, goblin spelled backwards. And, and the mother, everybody's fighting and bickering, and the mother feels like the only way to solve the problem is for Joshua to sing a song. And so she turns around. <laughs> in the movie, this part did make me laugh, because she turns around and she looks at Joshua. She goes, Joshua, sing that song that I love so much. <laughs> and I feel like it's like this inside song that only their family knows. And and he, he protests a little bit. She goes, just sing the song. And he starts singing. And you know what the song is? It's Row, Row, Row Your Boat. Because this song is 300 years old. But they're acting like nobody has ever heard it other than their family. And it's the most revolutionary thing. And so they're, they're, they go to Margot Prey's house and they reenact that scene. And I thought... That was really a funny moment in the documentary, but you had mentioned, like, at that point, you, you didn't know what they were saying because you yeah. hadn't seen Troll 2 yet. Absolutely, yeah. I, and and there were a couple of times where I didn't understand one of the scenes that they that they reenact over and over and over in the documentary is, <laughs> is, is when George kind of picks up... Parental advisory yes. in this moment. Okay, George picks up the kid and runs him upstairs, and he's looking in all of these rooms, and he throws him on the bed. He said, this is hospitality. You don't piss on hospitality. And I won't allow it! Yeah, I won't allow it. And then he, he's, he says, I'm going to tighten my belt strap to stop the hunger pains. And <laughs> You think he's going to take his belt off to get the kid a spank? That yes. was funny. Yes. He looks like he's going to take the, his belt off to whip his kid. And his, and if the kid says, what are you doing, Daddy? And he says, I'm tightening my belt by one knot so I don't have to feel the hunger pains. <laughs> and your sister and mother will have to do the same. <laughs> and, and 
what I didn't get, because I didn't hadn't seen the movie yet, apparently they had put out this huge spread for the people, for, for the family. And the, the goblins had. The goblins had put out this spread. Well, the food is what turns them into the sludge. Dead Grandpa Seth gives him a warning and says, hey, you need to stop them from doing this. And so the only way Joshua knew how to stop them from doing that was he stood up on a chair and urinated all over the table. <laughs> which, by the way, we don't see. It cuts <laughs> yes. away when Joshua starts to unzip his pants, which is the only thing that keeps this from being child porn. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 the, but the crazy thing is, in the documentary, had you not seen the movie, you would not have known exactly what happened up to that. You would have just seen him carrying him up the stairs and talking about hospitality and how you don't piss on hospitality, which is very confusing, and then talking about hunger pains, and you don't realize that this is Joshua making a stand that he's going on a hunger strike, which is also not what I would have thought if if my son had done that. Yeah. I wouldn't have cared if my son wanted to go on a hunger strike. I would have been like, that's normal, you're five, you don't eat anything anyway. <laughs> so it was a very weird part of the documentary for me, just not have not having seen the movie, but then they do it over and over and over within the documentary because that's obviously, once you see the movie, one of the more famous lines. This is, Yeah, that, that's George's great moment. That's his Marlon Brando moment. The make him an offer you can't refuse or something like that. Yeah. that that's his great line in cinema. I, had I seen the documentary first, I feel like there would have been a lot of things that were lost on me. So I, I feel like having watched Troll 2 made it easier for me to really experience the documentary. <clears throat> so it's almost like the documentary only really works if you've seen Troll 2, which is unfortunate because the documentary is great and Troll 2 is <laughs> awful. So what did you think of um, George Hardy in the documentary? I mean, when when we see him, it, it really chronicles kind of, it goes along with him and, and chronicles his life. Like, what did you think of him yeah, he's as, as, as a, a person within the documentary? At first, I didn't like him a whole lot. I, well, I mean, maybe it's because I had seen, I'd seen Troll 2, and when I first saw him, I was like, oh my gosh, it's the dad. And so I was like, am I going to spend the whole time with this guy? And so instantly, I didn't like him because I associated him with this horrible movie. And they really want you to like George. Like, they spend the first five minutes of the movie trying to convince you George is great. You know, yeah. and he's a dentist, and everybody loves him. Even his ex-wife still likes him. And so I liked him a lot at first. I got him, and we, we mentioned this before we started recording, I got a little bit of George fatigue after a little while, especially the because at first he begins the documentary being a little bit embarrassed that he was in Troll 2, and by the end, he's telling everybody. He's got, he, he's he's showing it to his patients in the, like, he, he's giving <laughs> dental treatments, and he's got it, sh he, he's got these, like, special glasses that he puts on his patients so that they can watch Troll 2 while they're in the dental chair. I can't imagine a worse torture than having to watch Troll 2 while I'm in the dentist chair. <laughs> that might be, that might be the only thing that would make a trip to the dentist worse. <laughs> that to, that's like a scene out of A Clockwork Orange. Like, I felt like so. What you're gonna do is you're gonna you're gonna open my mouth. You're gonna torture me already, and then you're gonna make me watch the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> he might have lost some patience for, for that. I can't imagine, but I mean, yeah. So uh, to answer your question, I I liked him, but I was I was ready to move on to another character by the time it was over. I, I was too. I mean, I thought it was interesting to kind of see the different characters and see what they thought and what they said. And how their perspective of the movie went. I really liked George at first. I thought, okay, this is a, a legitimately, he's a good guy. You know, but then when he was just kind of trying to promote the movie. And 
he got too much into, he was trying to sell the movie to people that it shouldn't be sold to. He was trying to convince everybody that they should love Troll 2. Granted, I don't think everybody should love Troll 2. I think that... I would argue nobody should love <laughs> Troll 2. I think that there should be kind of the, the following of people that kind of discovered it and found it. They really have like this little special place in their heart where they kind of... This is their dirty little secret that they love Troll 2. This should not ever be compared to anything that ever goes to the Oscars. This should not be compared to anything that actually even goes into theaters. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is not... Um, this is not movie. to be taken seriously. No, ever. No. You shouldn't put this and Shawshank Redemption... <laughs> you should never put them anywhere close to each other. Right? <laughs> like, no. Or even, or even like Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare, <laughs> yeah. on, Nightmare on Elm Street is Citizen Kane compared <laughs> to Troll 2. Well, I didn't like Citizen Kane either, so... <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this is... This is one of those movies that... It's a bit. And, and by the end of the movie... We were trying, it was trying to almost become legitimate, but, you know, play out the bit and keep the bit, but do it in small doses. And towards the end of the movie, it was kind of like, I was looking at George Hardy and going, hey man, you know, let the game come to you. Like, don't force this on people. And, and he started, you know, bagging on some of the people that were actually like his stuff. You know, when he would go to the horror convention and he just didn't understand them. And yeah. he didn't like, you know, he didn't like being there and didn't want to be there because he wasn't getting the limelight like some other real horror movies were. Yeah, like Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was almost like, well, I'm going to take my ball and go home. You know, and that, that part turned me off a little bit of George um, because he wasn't getting what, you know, he wasn't getting the attention he thought he deserved because he was in the worst movie ever. That's a good point, and I had I had exactly the same reaction. I feel like Michael Stevenson, the director, that that was sort of, I feel like we were sort of experiencing it along with him because I get the feeling that's what he wanted us to feel. Yeah, like I I, I kind of feel like he guided us emotionally through the whole experience with George, um, and I, I think he really likes George. But I think at that point he was like, okay, George, stop stop quoting the line, stop shoving this movie down other people's throats. Mm -hmm. it, it it needs just. Take it down a notch. Absolutely. Honestly, I'm like a cult luminary. When I go to these screenings, I would never dream. Does anybody want my autograph? But anyway, we'll go over your treatment okay. plan in just a second. So. I was in a film. I was in a film called Troll 2. Okay. The, the one thing that I did find that was kind of funny is, is how eccentric and crazy some of the cast members really were. The acting was not too terribly far off from their real personality. Now, are you talking about mom, or are you talking about uh, well, the, the drugstore owner? Okay, both. And, I mean, <laughs> I think even Grandpa George, or Grandpa, Grandpa Seth, Seth was, was a little bit along that line. That guy is a, I'm convinced he's a moonshiner. Like, you, you see him, he, now, he, he's got this huge beard, he lives out in the middle of nowhere, he, look, he looks like a poster child for the old crazy kook. Yes. <laughs> And then Margot, oh my gosh, she is, you know, she's a couple of cats away from just being the old crazy cat lady. Like, she is, she is nuts. Yeah, she's, and <laughs> she really is. And she's taking care of her mother. And you feel like the mother, she, the mother who is like a hundred years old gets it more than, more than, yes. more than Margot does. And then there is the, the drugstore, the drugstore owner who, that's his name, in the movie, he's never named. He's just 
considered the drugstore owner, literally would get leave from a mental institute to come and shoot the film while he was in an insane asylum and admittedly high on marijuana the entire time. And he even tells you, he said he wasn't acting. That's that's what he was doing and how he was. Like, he didn't realize all of the stuff that was going on. He was just doing his thing high. Which explains why he's the most convincing actor in the movie. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and you're kind of legitimately scared of this guy. Yeah. His name and, is Don Packard, by the way. Yes. And so he does talk about, you know, how he's a little bit better now and how he's had, you know, treatment. But then he also makes the weird statement that his, his stuffed animals ran for political office, he would vote for them. Oh, that was such a weird scene. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you get a little bit of his political views. The, the mentality of some of the cast members and the crew, and uh, we've already talked a couple of times about how the Italian filmmakers believe that this was great. And, oh, it, it should also be noted, at any time I've mentioned this movie to anybody, they've said, well, what about Troll 1? Is Troll 1 also bad? <clears throat> and here's the thing. Troll 1 is in no way affiliated with Troll 2. <laughs> Troll 2 is not a sequel. There is a movie called Troll, but apparently this guy, Claudio Fergrasso, is notorious for copyright infringement on franchises that he believes he could kind of piggyback onto <laughs> so as to make his films more marketable. And so Troll 2, it was originally titled Goblin. And, and so he changed the movie, the title to Troll 2 because he, fo- he thought it would market better because Troll 1 apparently had also had a bit of a cult following. I also learned this in my research. He had an Italian film that he released in, uh, in the mid-80s that he titled Terminator 2. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not in any way associated with our Terminator or right. Terminator. This is before it's James before, Cameron made Terminator 2. Yeah, and before Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Um, got on board. Yeah, but the one thing that I thought was weird, I mean, I like mythological stuff just as much as the next guy, but I am not a student of the uh, fairy tale world. I went ahead and looked up the difference between trolls and goblins, and they're not even close. They're not even kind of <laughs> close. Like, goblins are these sinister creatures that are devious, and they like to eat humans, and they can't be trusted. And they're really, really intelligent, but kind of cunning and conniving, but have, you know, they can't move around very well and things like that. And Which, I mean, that fits this movie. Real, yeah, absolutely. Like, the goblins, like, these are goblins. But trolls are big and clunky and dumb. They would rather just club you and, you know, be done with it. And they're easily confused. Whereas goblins kind of are associated with a witch or a sorcerer, which is very much like this movie. Because there is a goblin yes. queen. Yes, and so he had the mentality down for the goblins. But when he changed it to Troll 2, it's just so weird because he just assumes, eh, Troll, goblins, it's the same. I mean, they're all they're all magical. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and he, he claims, oh, the editor of the movie yes. claims that Troll 2 was the true inspiration for Harry Potter. Yes. He actually said that with a straight face. That this is the, it, you look at Harry Potter, this, it all comes from Troll 2. Yeah. Yes. It, oh my gosh. The delusions of grandeur do not even come close to describing what's going on in the minds. And, and the director claims that it's a, it's a massive meta parable for for our culture, for for society as a whole, and and yeah, so all the, all the every everything mythological that happened after 1990 
is inspired by Troll 2. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but he doesn't say that he was inspired by anything that was mythological before 1990. Including Troll 1. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was an interesting... It was definitely... Um, uh, kind of an interesting take by the Italians that that they they legitimately think that this is a fine body of work. There's this movie you've got to see. I've watched it a million times. Thank you all for coming to the fifth annual Los Angeles Troll 2 party. Oh, oh my God, you didn't see it? You haven't seen Troll 2? We're watching it now. And that's what people do with this movie. They pass the DVD around like it's Bible. Two decades after it was made, Troll 2 is finally finding an audience. It is sold out for tonight. My friends and I thought we were like the only people in the world who knew about this? Wow! Hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> I don't feel that kind of feeling when I'm drilling a cavity. And, and really, the phenomenon, and maybe this is getting into the overall theme of Best Worst Movie, which is what what does it take to make something a cult favorite? And and something that it gets compared to a few times is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And this is this movie is what makes something interesting or noteworthy is not necessarily the same as what makes it good. It has to contain something of note that is, it's not just that it's bad. It's not just, I'm going to use Green Lantern as an example, because that's a really bad movie that I saw last year. And it was bad, but it was also pretty forgettable. The thing about Troll 2 is it's bad, but it is not forgettable. No. And it's and that that is what makes it a, a cult classic. Yeah, and there's so many things that you you just keep remembering and remembering you're like why why did this happen for those of you that are going to go out and see this this is not okay I'll, I'll give you a spoiler alert but the way that they kill these trolls <laughs> is not with a gun or a knife or a weapon of some sort i mean there is an axe involved and they do chop one's hand off the way that they really get rid of them is with a double decker bologna sandwich him eating the double decker bologna sandwich is so appalling to these tr- to these goblins they just can't touch him and they can't get near him because he's eating this meat yes and it- and the, the goblin queen shouts at him think of the cholesterol yes. as he takes <laughs> as he takes a bite <laughs> it's, i mean i don't know what was going through their minds as they were writing this that the cholesterol of a double decker bologna sandwich is going to be, you know, the downfall to their little goblin civilization. Yeah, well, and again, it's very telling to know that the screenwriter kind of was grinding a personal axe against her vegetarian friends. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and they have to hold on to this rock, and so just their body warmth against this rock is what destroys some of these trolls, which I thought was very confusing. I was like, one, how would they know that other than maybe kind of Grandpa Seth said, like, touch the rock or whatever. You know, if I have goblins that are coming at me, I'm probably not going to sit there and clutch this rock hoping that, because it takes a while for it to kind of come into effect, that, that me touching a rock is going to kill the goblins that are coming at me trying to eat me. Right. There, there are a lot of things that that are going to, you know, stick in your mind going, what was happening there? Well, How did that... And, yeah, and, and what you just said, I mean, that kind of points out a lot of the problems. When you said, what would I do in this situation? Because no one in this movie <laughs> does what any other person would do. Like, for example, there, there's a scene where the dad comes out of the house and he sees a man on fire. <laughs> and he looks at him and he pauses and he... 
what happened? Oh my gosh! And then he turns around and and, and he does get a fire extinguisher, but his reaction is so underwhelmed. <laughs> and but then there's also this scene where this woman is like bleeding green, and the kid that's watching her says, "What's happening to her? Why can't I move?" Oh my! <laughs> you know what I'm talking yes. about? Nobody responds like a normal person would respond ever no. in this movie. And then they're going to eat me. Oh my God! You, you do learn a little bit about the documentary. You do learn a little bit about the making of the movie within the documentary. And it was so low budget. It was so cheaply done. One of the one of the characters, <laughs> supporting cast, he has this yellow shirt on that they bought him. And it has a, a small logo on the front and a really big logo on the back. And he said halfway through filming, they lost his shirt. And they made him go buy another yellow shirt. <laughs> it didn't have a logo on it. It's completely plain yellow. So in half the scenes, the shirt that he has that are supposed to be, you know, continual scenes, it has a logo on it in half of them, and it doesn't have a logo on it in the other half. Well, and, you know, they couldn't even buy their own five dollar yellow shirt well and they took his shoes and they nailed them <laughs> they nailed them to a, a prop so that he'd be stuck to the ground like yeah. his personal pair of shoes <laughs> yes they didn't give him anything new they're like thanks for the donation kid oh my gosh well and and every time and you you watch this movie and the, the characters say unbelievably ridiculous things and you think nobody talks like that well it was really helpful to me in the documentary to know that the, the actors were thinking the same thing and they would go to Claudio and they would say, American teenagers do not speak this way. And he would say, I know how American teenagers talk. You say the lie. And, and it's, it's really helpful to me to know that, that they didn't like it either. But also, it, it's so telling. Like, if you get offered a part in a movie, all these kids, like, they don't know. They think they're getting invited to be a part of this big, huge, it's like the next Friday the 13th. And so they all just go along with it. And this guy, just like a Pied Piper, just leads them straight off the cliff. <laughs> And it's it's insane that and nobody, no, everybody just does exactly what Claudio tells them to do. Yes, I think that the documentary gives you a lot of of ways to kind of examine the movie. Um, if you haven't seen one, if you, if you've only seen one, well, I mean, it's really hard to watch the documentary and not want to watch the movie. I would I would imagine. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, you you kind of need to to go. All right, I, I want to see what everybody's talking about in this movie. But if you've only seen the movie, the documentary kind of gives you multiple angles to look at it through, you know, the, the eyes of those who are in it, the eyes of the people who love it, the eyes of the people that hate it, um, the eyes of the director and the editor and the writer. These two pair, like, they kind of needed each other. Yeah. They, they really the, do. The documentary needs the movie. The movie needs the documentary. For your everyday average fan to kind of go, okay, I see the joke. Yeah. I see the irony there. Yeah, they really almost kind of come as a set. Let, let's talk positives and negatives. Okay, talk specifically the documentary. As far as I'm concerned, there are no positives when it comes to Troll 2. <laughs> but specifically the, the documentary Best Worst Movie, what, what would you say are the positives about this film? Uh, I, I mean, I always think that it's kind of fun to to be let in on some kind of a joke. Um, especially, you know, I mean, it's kind of a fad joke. It's it's like planking. It's like all of those kind of things. It's just, ha-ha, 
we're kind of now in we're not we're not on the outside. Yeah. Okay, you've been let into an inside joke, and the inside joke here is Troll Two. It did a good job. My favorite parts of the documentary were when they're when they're kind of highlighting the fan base that this has and how it grew and their fascination with the documentary because I can most relate to that. I can relate to the guys that are like, okay, I I, I kind of want to see this movie, but I want to go and ask the character. I want to go and ask the actors their opinions and things like that. And so as they're highlighting this, it kind of lets you in on it. The parts that I didn't like were basically towards the end of the movie when it really kind of got focused specifically on George Hardy and then when he was trying to introduce it to his community. But he was trying to introduce this movie to clients of his that were in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, people who they don't get they don't get this kind of ironic humor in a way that, that most people do. I mean, they're just good town folk from... Uh, his small town in was Alabama. Yeah, you know they aren't in on that kind of joke, and so they walked out of the movie going, "Well, that was a movie," and, <laughs> and so it was it was much different. I, he he kind of lost me at the end. I I kind of felt really bad for these old people that were duped into going to see this movie, not being on the the cutting edge and not being that kind of person that would go see a movie like this but they're like oh George Hardy's in it we must go see this movie he's our dentist I kind of felt bad for them and that's where that's where the documentary took a turn that I didn't I didn't care for yeah I'm I'm with you on that and for me the positive I'm, I'm fascinated with how a fiasco happens how does how does something like this get made how does it get distributed like who who said that this was a good idea from the get go so a positive for me was I really I enjoyed I, I enjoyed getting to see what happened here because I, I feel like this is a story that needed to be told and the negatives for me I'm, I'm the same way I would have been really I would have enjoyed knowing a lot more about the other cast members specifically I wish Michael Stevenson the the director had turned the camera on himself a little bit and said here here was my story and my I mean because he spends most of the time behind the camera and you really don't get a lot of him, and I, w- I would have been a lot more interested to know what his journey was through all that. And I would have liked to know about, you know, the sister, like because they interviewed the sister a little bit, and she talked about how anytime Troll Two would show up on her resume, she would instantly not be hired for any other acting parts right. or she, anything like that. She kept it off of her resume, but then she would go into she would go into casting calls, and they would they would ask her, they'd say, "Wait, were, were you in a movie called Troll Two? And she would have to say, yes, I was in a movie called Troll 2. And then she would leave going, well, I'm not getting that part. Yeah, see, and I feel like that would have been really interesting to spend a little more time on that. Also, I heard in an interview with Michael Stevenson later after the film came out that he had a whole big chunk of footage of him interviewing Deborah Reed, who played the Goblin Queen. That he, and she is nowhere in this documentary yeah. because, because he sacrificed all that time to give to George. And while I was interested in George, I felt I feel like when we already said this, I feel like we kind of had George fatigue yeah. at the end. I would have I would have liked to have had a broader story of how the whole cast has like where are they now twenty years later than just George. You know, I, I feel like we it was way out of balance with just George and nobody else. So so that was that was probably my main my main complaint about the film. Oh, I say that I really really enjoyed Best Worst Movie. Okay. A lot. But that that would be my main complaint, is that we didn't get a, a broader view of the cast. Ratings? 
Let's do ratings. All right. Well, you go first. How, how would you rate this? See, I was not as impressed. I think I may have the exact opposite view of you. I was not impre- as impressed by the documentary because the end kind of lost me. Probably the last 20 minutes, I was I was ready for the documentary to be over. Mm. Uh, I felt like I'd gotten the story, and I thought everything up until that last 20 minutes uh, was a really good story, and it kind of took a turn for me. On, on the other hand... I really liked Troll too. I mean, <laughs> I liked it. I liked it in in a way that you you know you gotta like something that's just so awful. It's you know I thought it was really funny to see such a terrible movie. The documentary, I would give a four. A four. A four. That yeah. is a low I rating, know, my friend. I know. I know. That's and brutal. I know. And 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 it was it was the last twenty minutes they got it for me. Wow. I mean, I I I liked. Everything up until the last twenty minutes. In in all the documentaries I've seen, it's getting a four, which is a, a really harsh rating. That is a harsh rating. Me. Yeah. Wow. I yeah. We could not be more different because I, I'm get up here, my rating. I'm giving it a nine. Wow. I nine lo- is so high. I know. I <laughs> I loved it, and it lost only one point because of the George Hardy overkill. Really? That's it. Oh because because it, in spite of all that, I was so entertained. By by the subcultural element of it, I was so entertained when they went to Margot's house and and like Michael's trying to get George to go to the door with him. And he's like, "What if she shoots me?" Because she's got like this like so many signs in front of her house and and she's gonna. What it, what's what's worst case scenario? Well, worst case scenario is she shoots through the door. <laughs> he's like, "Why would you say that?" He's like, "You wanted the worst case scenario." <laughs> it was so good and it was so much. I, I just had so much fun. I love. There's a there's an episode of uh, the radio show This American Life called Fiasco, and it just kind of goes through all the different, like several different stories of things that just went horribly wrong. I am so fascinated by that. I don't I don't want to see Troll Two ever again. I would watch Best Worst Movie again. I see, love I'm, I'm not sure if I would watch the Best Worst Movie again, but I would totally watch Troll Two so multiple times. So, wow. so yeah, I mean, and and I think it was. I wonder if any of that has to do with me watching the documentary first, then the movie? Maybe. Or you watching the documentary, are you watching the movie first, then the documentary? I don't, I have no idea. Yeah, it's possible that one just informs the other. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, and I wanted to know more. Like, after it was over, I just, I, went, I Googled everything I could think of to learn more. And I, to me, that's a sign of a good documentary, is by the end, am I so intrigued by this subject matter that I, I just have to know a whole lot more. Okay. And I, I want to see the deleted footage. And, and so I got I got to give it a nine. I just, wow. I, I love it. That's a, and that's a great rating. And so, you know, I mean, the the listeners can decide whether or not they are more intrigued by the movie itself or by the um, the documentary. Which is, see, my, I mean, and I think why I'm rating it so low is because I liked the movie so much more than the documentary. That blows my mind. Yeah. That absolutely blows my mind. <laughs> All right. Well, you can catch both Troll 2 and Best Worst Movie streaming on Netflix right now. And I think they're both uh, streaming on Hulu as well. Uh, you can find John at his blog, don't put me to sleep.blogspot.com. Or at Twitter, J O N R H O D E S C H O L A R. John Rhodes Scholar. Yes. Twitter slash John Rhodes Scholar. Um, you can find me. My blog is robcarmack.blogspot.com. Or my Twitter handle is Twitter slash Rob Carmack. 
And I'm also on another uh, podcast called Around the Wicked, which is about sports and pop culture. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, next week, we're going to talk about the documentary Waiting for Superman. So that can also be streamed on Netflix. So if you want to catch up and and watch that in preparation for the podcast, feel free to do so. Oh, and we should probably give a shout out to, as far as I know, one of our only listeners, John Graham. John, John Graham has listened to every podcast in spite of not having seen the documentary. So, John, if you're still listening by the end of this podcast, how's it going? <laughs> so next week, it's going to be Waiting for Superman. Thanks, guys, so much for, for listening in. And don't forget to check out uh, Best Worst Movie and Troll 2. See you later. See you later.